instruction booklet uh to as always i am your host a man who believes that uh dragon punching people uh left and right is the best way to go uh it's me jeremy and i'm joined by my host or my co-host who thinks that all fighting games should just be grapplers and that is michael pons michael what's up you know it would be one i mean just imagine right imagine a world in which it's all grapples i mean everything's rock paper scissors but like in an interesting way where you know it's like on wake up what is he gonna do is he gonna is he gonna grab is he gonna jump is he gonna grab again (laughs) is he gonna grab again right sometimes you gotta grab him three times in a row Um, maybe maybe that's out there somewhere you know somebody's gonna listen to this episode and be like make an entire fighting game of just grapplers exactly that would be i'm gonna play that fighting game let me know if somebody's (laughs) working on it yeah that's my game looking forward to marissa and geef Mm-hmm. this new one so yeah um so yeah for the folks tuning in uh last time you got to hear us talk about the early days of video game history and development and uh today we're not doing that now because uh hopefully when this releases uh, street fighter 6 will be out so we decided we wanted to take a walk down the street fighter memory lane but uh but first you know michael uh what you've been playing lately man so um I mean, just this past weekend, I was able to get my hands on the Street Fighter Six beta, so I was playing that pretty much all weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some thoughts, and I'll share those later. But other than that, um, I've been trying to just continue playing catch-up. Um, I played. I just finished playing the original Dead Space, the 2008 one, uh, in preparation for playing the remake, because I really kind of want to refresh myself of what the original game was like before replaying the new one. Yeah. Um, I'm finally playing Planescape Torment, uh, and it's it's slow. It's a lot of reading, um, but I've got a lot of free time right now, so trying to um, finally push through so I can say that I that I did it, um, and I'm enjoying it. You know, the writing is is good quality. Disco Elysium is one of my all time favorite games, and that's you know, sites Planescape Torment is being a massive um, influence. So that's yeah. what I've been doing. Uh, People Make Games just put out a video yesterday about uh, Disco Elysium. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Cool. That sounds fun. I I have obviously been knee-deep in Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. So that has ate up my, like, time, minus the fact I had, like, a small break. But, you know, of course, still just pull out the phone when I need to play some Marvel Snap and all that I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking a short break for Marvel Snap actually because it's been so frustrating for me. <laughs> um, 
you know. Well, you're an infinite uh, now, so. I've, I've hit infinite three times, you know, and, and so at this point, I'm just like, I don't know why I feel like I have to prove something to myself, you know. Yeah. Uh, you can play whatever. Adam decks. Dickens. Some of us don't have, uh, you know, good temperaments for playing multiplayer online games very much, but. <laughs> He's going to listen to this and throw something at us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Well, uh, I guess we'll, we're going to get into what we're, we're talking about today. We're actually going to go through a kind of loose history of Street Fighter today. Like the games, maybe we're going to touch on a little bit of the uh, pop culture here and there. And uh, we've also going to bring into the idea running parallel to this narrative is the fighting game industry, like with like its whole competitive scene, the the how Street Fighter kind of helped with the resurgence of uh, or in creating the FGC to where it is now. So hopefully this will be a fun episode. Uh, You know, we're going to be a little bit more looser than just talking about super boring history stuff. So, Mm. but I guess we can start off with. The original, you know, the original Street Fighter from August 1987. Uh, that was designed by, and I'm sorry if I horribly pronounce any of these, the Takishi Nishiyama and Hiroshi Matsumoto. Um, it was originally conceived from an early beat-em-up from 1984 called Kung Fu Master, which uh, I downloaded an emulator of and played. And uh, as someone who has played Souls games, I can tell you that uh, arcade games from 1984 are way harder than Souls games. <clears throat> they have no chill. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what to say other than I. It has five levels. I couldn't get through level two. Old game design is brutal, man. Man, but, you know, it, like it's a ridiculous. lot of them are designed to eat your quarters, right? And that's the thing is, yeah. The devs for Dark Souls don't get more money every single time you die. Um, but arcade games, you know. Man, if they did, do you know how much money from Soft would have? Uh, dude, they would be a millionaire off of me alone. <laughs> Same. Um, so, yeah, uh, these guys played this uh, beat em up called Kung Fu Master. Um, and it was also, Kung Fu Master was inspired by Bruce Lee's Game of Death, which is kind of hilarious to me when you think about it, uh, Michael, is like, Every fighting game, I think, has a Bruce Lee parallel. Mm. Like, I think he shows up in most fighting games as, like, yep. a different name or a different character or such. Liu Kang. Yeah. Mortal uh, Kombat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember. The, there's, like, the Tekken equivalent, but, you know, when Street Fighter has Fei Long. Is it martial law in Tekken? I think it is. Yeah. And then Fei Long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, so Kung Fu Master, which was called Spartan X in Japan, uh, was originally created, was the original idea for Street Fighter. Uh, So the bosses in Kung Fu Master, you know, inspired by Game of Death. But following the success of Kung Fu Master, uh, Nishiyama was hired by Capcom to make a sequel to Kung Fu Master called Trojan in 86, which was also a beat-em-up. And it took a lot of the basic ideas of Kung Fu Master and kind of, like, you know, extended on it. Um, eventually, this led to the creation of actual Street Fighter. Uh, and in the arcade version, players, uh, you could only play like two guys. You could play Ken or Ryu, and you could pick your path, and you had the standard eight-way joystick, and instead of our traditional six button, we had two large Metatronic pods for punching and kicking that depending on how hard you hit them is how you did your light, medium, and heavy. And I, I, I attached that photo in the notes for you to see just so we could like 
Yeah. <laughs> the old controls were ridiculous. Is it really, is it how hard you hit them or is it like something about how long you hold it down, like a light tap versus a held tap? Uh, from what I read, it was mostly like how hard you could punch them or wow. hit them. So like That's most wild. most people would play the game just by like beating the hell out of it. There's no way those uh, cabinets lasted very long, I feel like. Yeah, well... That's part of why they moved to the six button layout eventually. Yeah, that's um, right. They moved to what we know today of the, you know, the light, medium, heavy. Um, the first game used, um, you know, it used a lot of, it had special techniques. Like you still had like a Hadouken, a Dragon Punch, a Hurricane Kick. Um, I downloaded the uh, 30th anniversary collection for this uh, and for the episode and I played the original and the boss AI in that game is also equally not fair and does things that it shouldn't. So the read inputs, uh, I think it did, but also the damage was just wildly inaccurate. Hmm. Okay. And so, yeah. So the first one was pretty successful. Uh, it gave folks a great idea. Um, and then that led us into the sort of weird black sheep that I, I, I listed in her in the notes, which was Street Fighter 2010, released in August 8th, 1990 and uh, in Japan, and then came out in the States in 1990. It is the only Street Fighter title that is a side-scrolling beetle bump. <laughs> uh, it was released after Final Fight, which is kind of hilarious because the title is actually Street Fighter 2010 Final Fight, and you play as Ken. So... It's kind of interesting how you went from like this beat 'em up idea of karate champ and like kung fu master and Trojan, and it led into this one v one game. Then it kind of got quiet for a while, became a side scroll and beat 'em up, and so it's, it's interesting that that or how that early development was, but yet yeah. the, like the foundation was there. Is it um? Is it supposed to take place in 2010? Is that why it's called Street Fighter 2010? Yeah, it's like it's got a cyberpunk futuristic thing. Oh yeah, I had to find That's an it. emulator of it, uh, and it plays a lot like Final Fight. <clears throat> so, um, but after you know August 8th, 1990, we have the thing that's probably going to eat up a large chunk of our beginning conversation, which was Street Fighter 2. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was released in arcades on February 6th, 1991 in Japan, uh, came in arcades on the 5th, February 15th, 1991, and then worldwide in March 1991. And then you had the SNES release, which was June 10th, 1992 for Japan, and July 15th, 1992 in North America. And funny enough, this game was released on MS-DOS, the Amiga, the Atari, uh, the Commodore 64, and nice. later, the Game Boy. Game Boy, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So could you imagine trying to play a, a Game Boy version of Street Fighter 2? Hmm. You know, I could. Um, it would be difficult, but I could. Yeah. That seems fun, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, Street Fighter 2 became the best-selling game since the golden uh, since the golden age of arcade video games. By 1994... It had been played at least by 25 million people in the U.S. alone. Uh, due to its major success, it would have a mul- it had multiple updated versions, which we're going to get into. Uh, worldwide, more than 200 arcade cabinets and 15 million software units were sold of Street Fighter II. 
uh, grossing an estimated $10 billion in total revenue, making it one of the top three highest-grossing video games of all time as of 2017, and the best-selling video game until 2019. Until 2019, wow. Yeah. So, SF2 has a long, long history. Uh, it was kind of a game that, like, it, as I remember getting it for Christmas, like, <laughs> for my Super Nintendo, and just being fascinated by it and that was like my for me that was my introduction to uh, fighting games yeah well i think for a lot of people it was their introduction to fighting games um and i'll say i'll sort of jump in here that street fighter 2 is largely kind of accredited with being the game that really kickstarted like the early fighting game community at least around street fighter um especially like in japan and then uh, california specifically um it kind of you know, was the case because of how just popular and how, um, I guess, just common it was to see Street Fighter Two cabinets like in every single arcade. This was the game that people started having weeklies for and tournaments for, and this is where people really started to build the communities around getting together and, and you know, actually competing to see who was the best. Yeah. So this is really kind of where it starts, rather than like Street Fighter One, as far as you know. Um, the community is concerned yeah and the competitive scene yeah um so like some kind of fun stuff about it like you know development took about two years it was it took 35 to 40 people to help work on it um the producer of uh, funazima notes that developers didn't prioritize balance in the game uh which is interesting because uh if you've ever like as a kid i didn't notice it um but if you ever go back and play street fighter 2 damage values are just absurd. Uh, a light fireball could do the same damage as a heavy fireball randomly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that the red fireball glitch that was? Uh... Uh, I don't think the red fireball came in until a little bit later, but okay. In SF two, you could hit someone with the same fireball twice and have two different damage values. Huh. Uh, light, like any move in the game, had just bizarre damage values. It was it was so strange. Um, strangely enough, talking about like we mentioned, like with Final Fight, uh, the f- success of Final Fight is kind of what helped prioritize the idea. Uh, Yoshiniki uh, Okamoto recounts uh, the basic idea at Capcom was to revive Street Fighter. Uh, had a good game concept, but they wanted to make it better in arcade. Um, you know, and as your traditional fighting game, you know the game. Gameplay-wise, it follows, you know, your standard rules of its predecessors. Uh, players engaged in one-on-one cl- close-quarters combat, you know, win best two out of three, knock them to zero, or whoever has the highest HP. Uh, it'd be the standard for most fighting games, you know. And then Capcom, with the success, would iterate on this as time went on. Uh, I guess the hilariousness of Street Fighter Two was uh, how combos were originally discovered. Mm. Uh, I think you've heard that story, right? Yeah, um, I've heard it from a few places. I don't remember where exactly I read this or where I heard it, but I know that the story effectively goes something like um, the first combos that were discovered in Street Fighter 2 were actually um, glitches. Uh, They were not meant to be in the game. It was sort of a bug that you could actually link two moves together into an unblockable, you know, sort of a sequence, Um, you know, I guess an early example of emergent gameplay as far as people discovering tech within games that wasn't intended by the designers. And 
rather than sort of patch it out of the game, um, however that would be possible, actually, uh, Capcom, I guess, just decided that, you know, they recognized that people loved it so much. They thought these combos were so cool that it sort of became a staple for the franchise and for fighting games in general, um, you know, to sort of sell themselves on the idea that you could figure out these these sequences of moves that would just, you know, do a lot of damage and look very flashy. So um, combos, as we know them in fighting games, really kind of began as, uh, I don't know, unintended design flaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd listed in the notes the yeah the lead producer uh, noticed the extra strikes were possible during a bug check with the uh, bonus stage, and he thought that the timing required was too difficult to make it useful wow. in the game, and just left it in. Yeah, <laughs> like, players can't push these buttons that fast, right? So yeah, and now we have you know players who dedicate themselves to learning combos with like four or five one frame links that you know are just like. You have to be a a computer to be able to do that kind of stuff. To me, at least, I don't. Yeah, I couldn't imagine being able to do that. So, as a as a fun little side note with the Street Fighter Two, uh, I guess as I need to mention it is that the earlier versions of Street Fighter Two, uh, Capcom had a system that was used for their arcade system boards called the, like they called it the CP system, and uh, it was mainly used to like. It was mostly based off of the NES, uh, and then of course you know upgraded to work better inside of arcades. Um, they developed the CP system hardware for about two and a half years, uh, which they developed custom microchips that they called super chips that are equivalent to like way more powerful circuit boards. Uh, but uh, in the earlier versions, it was plagued with a lot of bootlegs. So, and funny enough, we're going to kind of get into that when we start talking about all these, like, when what happens when Street Fighter 2 happens, <laughs> I guess mm. is the best way to say it. Uh, and I guess the last note I have about Street Fighter 2, and this comes from our, our our dark lord, the editor, who keeps our episodes sounding good, is that uh, in the movie Bloodsport, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Donald Gibb had a scene where they play uh, Data East Corp and Karate Champ you know, the game that was heavily influenced, uh, Van Damme is playing that, which is funny because, you know, Van Damme would later go on to play Guile in the 1994 Street Fighter movie. And then Capcom would go on to unsuccessfully sue Data East over similarities of their game Fighter's History to Street Fighter 2. Hmm. And then it's even funnier now because with the release of Mortal Kombat 1, yeah. Van Damme's going to be in the game. Johnny Cage. Yeah. Which the the splits that Cage does was influenced by Van Damme from Bloodsport. So well, there you go. Uh, so yeah, so after Bruce Bruce Lee and John Claude Van Damme now are going to show up in all of the fighting games. Yeah, we're going to have to start looking for them. Just turn it into like yeah. a, a fun little Easter egg hunt. Your your move, Tekken. Yeah. <laughs> um. So after the the massive success of Street Fighter Two, we have Street Fighter Two Championship Edition. Or in Japan, as it was called, Street Fighter 2 Dash. Uh, it was released in arcades on March 18th, 1992 in Japan, and then March in 1992 for North America and Europe, and then worldwide for in May 13th, 1992. Its console release is kind of interesting because it was only released in the PC engine in Japan and then later came to the States exclusively to the Sega Mega Drive and Genesis release under the title Special Championship Edition. So it's interesting that, like, 
Nintendo had the original Street Fighter 2, and then when Championship Edition came out, it was only to like for like arcades, the PC Engine, and the Sega. Which, you know, at the time, Nintendo and Sega were like at it. Hmm. Um, so this was the first of several updates that are to come with Street Fighter 2, though it wouldn't be the last. The main changes being they finally added the four boss characters with Balrog, Vega, Sagat, and Bison. Uh, the game would actually finally allow mirror matches because in Street Fighter 2, you couldn't play the same character against one another. <laughs> uh, there were minor game balances that were put in for to further competitive play. So uh, it would make sense that Capcom was probably watching, I guess, some of the competitive scene around that time. Um, and they, you know, they polished up some of the animations and improved some of the character portraits. Uh, success-wise, Championship Edition uh, earned... Earnings would exceed $2.3 billion in gross rev- revenue, making it one of the top three highest-grossing arcade games of all time after Pac-Man and Space Invaders. Is that uh, adjusted for inflation, do you know? or uh, I'm not quite sure. I should probably look into that. But uh, I yeah, just... I was be a lot of money for yeah, the I was, 90s. I was shot behind, like, behind Pac-Man and Space Invaders. Like, yeah. So, uh, so then after Championship Edition... I guess we talk about, like, I can talk about the little, the weird thing where I was just talking about bootlegs. So, in 92, a group of Taiwanese hackers called Hung Hisai Enterprise Taiwan uh, bootlegged a copy of Street Fighter 2 and created Rainbow Edition. And it added uh, a lot of features that weren't present in Championship Edition, including Ken and Ryo being able to use their special moves five times in quick succession. To me, the most broken thing, Giles' Sonic Boom had homing properties. Oh, no. (laughs) And many special moves could be done in the air. Uh, Players could also press start to change their character (laughs) mid-match. How about... Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine that for, like, a competitive scene? Yeah, I mean, that's... Would it pause the game, or would, like... Uh, I've watched a few videos, but I never saw anybody doing the character swap. Okay. But I will say like, homing sonic booms were bonkers. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking like, you know, you play a rushdown character, you know, like someone who's really good at getting in close like Ken, and then you just swap to Keef. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there's just got to be some insane, you know, like tick throw setups that you can do that require hot swapping to Keef in the middle of a combo string. Yeah. Um, the game was also played at like higher speeds, which was kind of like a standard for moving forward is we're going to see a lot of Street Fighter 2 with a mo- faster move sets. Mm. Um, rumors from Capcom over uh, uh, with like hyper fighting was like due to the popularity of Rainbow. Uh, players would note that like the similarities between the two titles. Uh, in an article with Polygon, James uh, Goddard, who was the di- design support for Turbo, said development on Turbo started after he played Rainbow and then told Cop- Capcom that they needed to do an update to compete. Nice. That makes sense. So it's interesting that a a hacked version of Street Fighter, which apparently there were tons of them, but Rainbow was kind of the one that like kind of came to the surface as like the it factor. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, then after that, we get Street Fighter II Turbo Hyper Fighting. Not to be confused later when we start talking about Super Street Fighter II Turbo. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> the Street Fighter II era gets so funny and weird. Um, 
Uh, Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting was released in arcades on December 10th, 1992 in Japan and then worldwide on December 21st, 1992. Its console release was for the SNES on July 10th, 1993 in Japan and then August 1st, 1993 in the US. It's the third arcade release of Street Fighter 2. Uh, it was much faster playing speed and new special moves for certain characters were added as well as further refining character balance. Turbo is the final arcade version of Street Fighter 2 using the original CP1 system. Uh, I actually have a copy of uh, Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting uh, in my SNES right now. Wow, nice. Uh, I remember as a kid playing this game being excited because that was the game that gave Chung Li her fireball. Hmm. I was a big Chung Li main in Street Fighter 2. Nice. Because I loved jumping off walls. Um, after this, we get Super Street Fighter 2, the new Challengers, which uh, was kind of a very interesting upgrade for a lot of the game. Uh, its arcade release was September 10th, 1993 in Japan, and then September 11th, 1993 in the US. It was released on the SNES and the Sega Mega Drive and the Genesis on June 25th, 1994 in Japan, and July 18th, 1994 in North America. It was also released on the Amiga and MS-DOS. <laughs> I'm just... Having a copy of Windows 95 and thinking about trying to play a Street Fighter game on MS-DOS is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Um, this was the fourth game in the Street Fighter 2 subseries. <laughs> Following the release of Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting, this version refines balance of the existing characters' rosters from previous versions and introduces four new characters... It was also the first game using the CP2 system, so it looked a little better, played a little better. Uh, it also featured a scoring system for combos, also featured first attack bonuses, reversals, as well as recoveries. Uh, the faster speeds from Turbo of Hyper Fighting was reduced a little bit, so the game plays a little bit closer to SF2. Uh, and it was also the first version to be released with a tournament battle version that allowed single elimination tournaments. So here's like Capcom finally like submitting to like the idea of competitive competitive tournaments in and including it inside their systems. Mm. Uh, it's like kind of like old WAN networks, um, which I, I don't know. You've seen you've seen pictures of what like uh, Japanese arcade cabinets look like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they actually have like a seat on them. Yeah. Compared to American arcade cabinets, where you just have to stand the entire time. So it was a uh, it was definitely like kind of an interesting like push, and I'm sure this might have this this definitely would have helped the competitive scene a lot more now. Um, after that, um, we have the one that's kind of the biggest one and almost like the swan song of the SF2 era, which was Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Uh, it was released in arcades February 23rd. 1994 globally there wasn't a separate release on this one and it was released on consoles November 1994 only for the 3DO MS-DOS and the Amiga which is still just hilarious to me because it's like Street Fighter 2 genre jumps around consoles so much mm-hmm uh, well the console markets you know in, in the 80s and 90s were still so volatile I mean Mm-hmm. It's easy to think, um, you know, if you're somebody who grew up playing video games from the early 2000s onward, you know, of course, that 
it's i don't know uh nintendo microsoft and sony um but with so many people you know and, and we'll kind of talk about this next month when we do more video game history but so many industries and uh, not industries companies were trying to get in on the video game industry that it's like every single tech company that you know you and your grandmother knew mm-hmm. was you know they had a console at the time right um, so it's it is kind of funny to see how that affects um a popular game with so many different iterations mm-hmm. um so this was the fifth installment of sf2 subseries super turbo introduced several new gameplay mechanics not present in previous versions of sf2 including addition of combination moves called super combos and air combos. Also introduced the first secret character in Akuma, who would go on to become a recurring uh, character later in the series. Uh, And I think we talked about him a little bit in our Easter egg episode where you had to beat the entire game without any continues. And at the end, he comes out and like wrecks Bison and you had to fight him. And funny enough, he didn't have a picture portrait. Uh, and you could you could do like some shenanigans to unlock him, and he would just replace Ryu's character portrait. Hmm. Um, while it wasn't a commercial success as previous iterations, the game had a huge impact on the competitive fighting game circuit. Uh, to this day, uh, Street Fighter Super Street Fighter Two Turbo is still played competitively, and is the oldest fighting game that still has an active competitive tournament throughout the world. And uh, I, I remember there being like some exhibitions at Evo from time to time with Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo. So it's it's kind of interesting that th- this game still, you know, and this was the game that sort of introduced super moves, but instead they were like super combos. Um, you actually had like a meter at the bottom as well. Um, yeah, I think, um, I think Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo was also one of the games featured um at the first two or three battle by the base yep um the tournament that a lot of people nowadays know as evo um the um evolution championship series one of the biggest fighting games in the world or fighting game um sort of events uh, tournaments of, of in the world and um yeah among other street fighter games at you know that were popular at the same time versions of street fighter 2 and, and the alpha series um street fighter 2 turbo was a main one of the main games played at these early competitions yeah and then uh, i have to throw it in here just because i'm thinking about it is and of course 1994 was the street fighter movie featuring nice. john claude van damme and kylie minogue and uh, uh uh raw julia as bison that also had an arcade release that decided that they wanted to steal the idea from Mortal Kombat and used motion capture from the actors of the movie. <clears throat> and it was terrible. Yeah, I'm sure that looked great. They released a home console version of it that used the turbo engine and that apparently played a little bit better. But for the most part, it was just it was awful. Yeah. So with the end of Super Street Fighter 2, we move into uh, kind of a, a, a new era for Street Fighter. Well, we had a, a just and it's funny enough is it's just a one year gap uh, between Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo and what would come next, which was Street Fighter Alpha. Uh, Warrior's Dreams or in Japan known as Street Fighter Zero. Uh, I actually never played the Alpha games on release. 
Uh, I didn't have, I wasn't a PlayStation kid. Uh, so I only got to recently play the alpha games maybe within the last month when I bought the 30th anniversary collection. And I was like, well, I, I need to, you know, learn what these games are like. Uh, this game was released in June 1995 for Japan and North America. Uh, it was the first new Street Fighter release since SF2 and 91. It started life uh, in October uh, in 1994 after the release of uh, another Capcom game that is dear to my heart in Darkstalkers. Uh, the development team was only given three months to complete a game from scratch, but ended up completing development six months after production was started. The original title for the series was supposed to be called Street Fighter Legends. Uh, and to give an idea of what kind of roster they were working with, uh, this name would later be used in a comic book adaptation. Uh, the prototype for the game for Street Fighter Classic, since it was meant to take place between the original Street Fighter and SF2, uh, the Japanese name for the game was Zero, but Capcom PR in North America disliked it and thought it sounded kind of negative, so they renamed it to Alpha. Uh, after its release in Japan, it went on to become the second most popular arcade game in, in the month, right behind Virtual Fighter 2. So it's kind of interesting that like uh, the 3D fighting genre has already started now. And I'm guessing like you know we have your Virtual Fighters and Tekken around that time yeah. mortal kombat 2 was was sort of dipping their feet in um it might have been a little bit later than this but you know mk oh, had its what was that mortal kombat 3 no mortal kombat was it 4 that was the first 3d mortal kombat it was like fully 3d because you had like weapons and stuff yeah um alpha revamped the super combo system uh, that started in super turbo and like in super turbo the super combo gauge that fills for the players to perform regular and special moves. And when the gauge reaches a level, you can perform one or higher to do super combos. Additionally, Alpha was the first game to introduce counters into the game, where players could perform these by using their super gauge to perform counter attacks after blocking. Uh, this game is also interesting, and in, like what we were talking about before the episode started about some of the stuff with Six, like doing new things, is this game introduced auto and normal playstyles. Uh, where auto allowed players to perform instant super combos by pressing punch and kick at the same time. So it's interesting to me that like that is, you know, here's the kind of the beginning of Capcom going, look, we, we want our players to be able to do these cool, fancy things, but we need to find easier ways for them to do them. Yeah. Um, it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to sort of talk about the parallels between that because Capcom's been trying that kind of stuff. You know, with like the versus series two, I'm pretty sure Ultimate Marvel versus Capcom three had like a, a similar style um, input selection, and you know we'll talk about Street Fighter six a little bit later. But um, they've always really kind of been committed to this <clears throat> problem of, you know, how do you get casual players to experience kind of some of the cooler stuff that they see advanced players doing? You know? Yeah. It kind of runs into like the problem that the FGC was having for a while, where it was like they wanted new players, but the bar was becoming so high for new players to get into it. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it seems as though that has changed in the last few years. Like we've 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 seen a lot of fighting games move towards easier introduction points. Um, you know, I had never played a Guilty Gear before before I played Strive. Yeah, and and then like you know you had like DNF, and DNF was a really good jumping on point for people. 
Yep. Grand Blue Fantasy. I mean, arcs. I guess we just named arc three Arxis games. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Arxis is an interesting example of a a dev who's really kind of trying to go in the direction of um, easy to learn, difficult to master. And I think that Street Fighter Six is probably moving a little bit in that direction too. Yeah. Um, which is cool to see. I think more people playing these games is a good thing. Not everything needs to be like you know. Uh, ridiculous input heavy fist of the north star nonsense <laughs> right so um so after the release of alpha um you had alpha 2 which was in february 27th 1996 it had a console release for playstation saturn and snes and windows all from ranging from august 9th down to november 1st uh this game is a remake of alpha uh it, it featured a number of improvements over the original such as new attacks stages endings uh, the main new system was the inclusion of the custom combo system, which replaced chain combos from Alpha. It kept the original roster of 13 uh, from Alpha, added in Dalzeman Zangief, uh, and Gen, who was an assassin from the original Street Fighter. Who He's like the second guy you fight, and he just spams Ninja Stars. Uh, Rolento, a member of the Mad Gear Gang, who originally appeared in Final Fight. So now we've kind of started working the Final Fight stuff in the Street Fighter. Uh, as well as the newcomer who I also know she's super popular is Sakura. Nice. Uh, so funny enough is that Alpha 1 didn't get as much praise as people would think because its console released was the games were bundled together. Alpha 1 and Alpha 2. Or, no, wait, I don't think, no, Alpha 1 and Alpha 2, it was, uh, it was the third it was the third strike games, I think, that were bundled together. Mm. So. Yeah. And then after Alpha 2... Then we kind of have some of the beginning stuff. This is was the the battle of the, the first battle of the bay, right? Yeah, B three um, Street Fighter Alpha two was one of the major games, uh, both at you know B three and B four, and this was also the first appearance of um, Alex Valle, one of sort of like the the all time greats of American FGC uh, scene. Um. Apparently, this is where he debuted a uh, unblockable combo that he had been labbing uh, in order to actually win the uh, the grand finals for Street Fighter Alpha Two, which has now been dubbed uh, the Via CC, um, from what I hear. Okay. Um. So after Alpha series, well, after Alpha Two, we have Street Fighter Three: The New Generation. Uh, this was released on February twenty eighth in arcades in nineteen ninety seven, and then it was a console release. In December 16th, 1999 on Dreamcast. It was released featuring Capcom's new CP3 system. It was a direct sequel to SF2, though the game initially discarded every previous character except for Ryu and Ken and introduced uh, an all-new roster. Uh, it featured several new abilities and features, some taken from Capcom's other fighting games titles, such as the aforementioned Darkstalkers, which is a game I really, really love. <laughs> Players can perform quick dashes forward and backwards, super jumps, quick stands, or known as teching, uh, will, will be known as teching from like throws after falling from an attack, lifted out of X-Men Children of Adam. The game also introduced leaping attacks, uh, as well as players could parry attacks. It also featured super arts, which is a powerful special move similar to a super combo. Players could select their super arts after selecting their character, and like the super combo gauge, super arts had their own separate gauge. So three was like a. I remember 
hearing about it. I never got to play it when it came out, but I remember three being contentious because of, you know, you, you just dropped the entire roster. <laughs> mm-hmm. Except for Ryu and Ken. So. And I remember it's a like weird roster. Yeah. But, but strangely enough, a lot of those characters today are more like beloved. Right. A lot of them ended up becoming fan favorites. So then this led us into Street Fighter 3 Second Impact Giant Attack, which was released September 30th, 1997 in arcades and December 16th, 1999 on Dreamcast, which is the same date as the original Street Fighter 3, because the console release of these games were grouped together. Uh, SF3 and Second Impact releases a double pack, which seems like an odd choice, right? Hmm. Like, why would you package two games together like that for a console release? So, especially two years after uh, the release of both games. So, it was an updated version of SF3, and like its predecessor, it ran on the CP system uh, hardware. Uh, And then uh, Second Impact introduced new gameplay mechanics, new characters, special moves. It is the only CP2 game to have a widescreen feature. Uh, Standard balances in the game were made, as well as other things, including... The introduction of the EX special moves where players could use part of their super art gauge to create more powerful versions of their standard attacks. Tech throws an ability to escape from throw attacks were put in the game as well. So you start seeing like some of the stuff here that's like more staples of what we know today as fighting games. Uh, EX moves, I think, are everywhere now. Most games have like an EX move. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And then... So then we're in here in like 1998. We have instead of what would you would think would be another follow-up Street Fighter Three, they jump back to the Alpha series and release Street Fighter Alpha Three or Street Fighter Zero Three, which was released in con- on on arcades in June 29th, 1998, with a console release of December 23rd for PlayStation, uh, as well as Dreamcast and Sega Saturn. It was the third installment of the Alpha series, and Alpha 3 serves as a sequel to Street Fighter Alpha 2 <laughs> and ran on the CP System 2 hardware as previous Alpha games. Uh, the game was produced after Street Fighter 3 subseries started, but before the release of Third Strike. Uh, Alpha 3 discarded the auto and manual feature from the previous Alpha games and instead offers three different playstyles known as isms <laughs> for the player to choose from. And then each style was unique. Uh, previous takes on previous systems including Alpha 2 and Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo providing players with different approaches of how they wanted to play based on experience and comfort level Uh, Alpha 3 also introduced the Guard Power Gauge, a system that depletes the bar each time player blocks and if the gauge is completely depleted the player will remain in a vulnerable attack state so Alpha 3 is kind of interesting to me from the perspective of them offering players different ways to play based on what version of the game that they've played. Mm-hmm. So. And then I also think, isn't here in 98 the. Yeah. The, the um, other big Evo stuff? Yeah, Alpha 3 is a very important game in the history both of Street Fighter and kind of the, the FGC as a whole. Um. This was kind of the moment here in the late 90s that Capcom itself really started taking, I think, a vested interest in in organizing FGC events. Um, I think it was in 1998, uh, after having sort of two national tournaments, one in Japan, one in uh, the U.S., 
that Capcom actually organized a Street Fighter Alpha 3 World Championship. Um, and this was one of the first times that um, Alex Faye, who was the uh, North American champion, and Daigo Umehara, who was the Japanese champion, uh, they had uh, a match uh, in California, I believe. Um, that you can go online, actually, and you can find the video from, from 1998. Um, it's not a great quality video, but, you know, it's a kind of momentous occasion in the history of the fighting community, so it's cool. Cool... Um, little set to watch oh, sweet um well then i guess that leads us into the the, the beloved street fighter third game uh with street fighter 3 third strike fight for the future releasing arcades on may 12th 1999 with a console release of june 29th 2000 for the dreamcast uh it was a follow-up to the other sub-series for sf3 games it was running on the new cp3 system which added further refinements to the previous gameplay mechanics and rules. The game was well-received of all of its versions that have since been regarded one of the greatest fighting games of all time. I think IGN actually put it at the top of their list. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the game balance is more fine-tuned and the sprites were reworked. Uh, upon release, it was the most successful arcade game of 1999, and though not particularly popular at its release. With now Third Strike being highly regarded at, in fighting game communities as one of the best fighting games. It also being the game that created the now famous Evo Moment 37. Um, which also is considered the most iconic moment of competitive gaming and inspired many to start playing Third Strike. Yeah, one of the most iconic moments um, in the FGC as well as esports in general. Yeah. Um, where, you know, Daigo does the impossible and Parries, parries, uh, parries the full Chun Li super. Like, what is it? It's like twelve or thirteen parries, and then confirms into his own combo, winning the set. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and it was uh, Justin Wong and Daigo, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure one of the reasons that I was reading why Street Fighter Three Third Strike was just like not that successful. I mean, like it was well regarded, but it wasn't as popular as some of the other games. Mm -hmm. Um was because a lot of the other games at the time, like people were really interested in, in 3D graphics, uh, especially here in the late 90s. And it seemed like kind of a step backwards to, to be making, you know, stylized, uh, fully 2D games still. Right. Um, and I, I just think it's funny because I remember hearing about this and thinking about it from a perspective of, like, you know, here in, in 2023, it looks so much better than so many of the other games that came out around the same time. I think primarily because they chose to go with the 2D art style instead of the 3D art style. I mean, so many old 3D games from like the 90s and the early 2000s look horrible. Yeah. Um, whereas the 2D sprites actually still look great because, you know, the art is just good. Well, you know, that kind of touches on back in 96... Capcom decided to try and do something like that because they made the uh, Street Fighter EX games, which were full 3D Street Fighter games. And if you go and see any of the images from those, they are... That game looks rough. <laughs> uh, in fact, EX3 would come back after Third Strike. Um, so... Then we have the gap that happens. <laughs> You know, Third Strike came out in 1999, 
And Street Fighter 4 wouldn't come out till 2008. So that is, that's quite the gap. Decade. Yeah. And uh, for me, this was when I got back into Street Fighter because I didn't get to play any of the Alpha series, any of the third Street Fighter 3 games, any of that stuff because I, I didn't really play a PlayStation. And yeah, I remember... I Street, Street Fighter 4 was probably the first Street Fighter that I played, I think. Yeah. Um, so Street Fighter 4 came out in arcades July 18th, 2008, and then it came out on console for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 on February 12th, 2009, and July 2nd, 2009 for Windows. It was the first original series since 1997's Street Fighter 3, a highest of 11 years. Uh, producer Yoshinori Ono stated that he wanted to keep the game closer to SF2. The game had a similar feel to Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, but also included some things from Third Strike. It had a new system called the Focus Attack, system as well as ultra moves the traditional six button scheme returned uh, with new features and special moves uh, before the idea of sf4 was pitched a prevailing attitude around capcom was that a new numeric entry in the street fighter series would be would not be made the gap from 2000 to 2008 represented the longest time the series had gone without a sequel however in light of fan demand plus a positive reception of street fighter 2 hyper fighting release on xbox live Eventually, the project began. Uh, Yoshinoro Ono was the sound manager for Third Strike and previously produced Capcom Fighting Jam. Uh, This was his first time producing a full Street Fighter entry, and the original game concept was supposed to be titled Street Fighter 4 Flashback. The game would feature 2.5D graphics as a roster made from the classic FF2 characters plus Sakura and a few new characters. The flashback game was supposed to feature a single-player mode with a third-person action focused on reused backstory, as well as all the Street Fighter arcade games in their original forms and a 3D version of Super Turbo. <laughs> so, you know how weird that would be to be playing like a 3D action game where it's just Ryu reliving his past? Yeah, that seems interesting. Very Shaolin monks. Yeah. Um, the game was released to huge success and received universal acclaim. An arcade version of the game was voted Best Game of 2008. Uh, the game also won the category of Best Graphics, Best Production, and a Reader's Choice Award in uh, by the Japanese magazine Arcadia. Uh, Ryu took the number one spot as the top 20 characters of 2008, and the game also won Fighting Game of the Year at the Video Game Awards. <laughs> so, you know, SF4 was a was a big deal. Like I remember it coming out and being very excited and getting to play it. That was also my introduction to fight, uh, competitive fighting games as well. Because hmm. uh, I, I think it, I think it holds up pretty well too. I mean, I, I think um, the focus attack system mechanic is very cool. Um, I know a lot of people still prefer parrying from Street Fighter Third Strike, but <clears throat> I think focus attacks. I mean, they became pretty pretty iconic. I think for the series too. When when Ryu and Ken um, showed up in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, I think their down special was a focus attack. Mm-hmm. Um, including the ability to dash cancel it the same way you can in Street Fighter 4. Yeah. Now, uh, something talking about the competitive scene. So I've been mentioning as the game's released that there's like an arcade release and a console release. And the reason I've been doing that is because it's interesting. I found this out when I started watching competitive games that people would go and live in Japan to play the arcade releases before the console releases came out. So they could learn like all the new versions of the game. 
Like, people would just actively go live in Japan when, like, a new version of Street Fighter 4 would come out. So. That's um, some dedication. Yeah, extreme dedication. Um, beyond that, we had uh, Super Street Fighter 4, which had a console release in uh, April 27th, 2010. It was deemed too large to be a DLC. Super Street Fighter 4 was released as a standalone title, but giving a lower price than full retail. It's an updated version of SF4 and deemed the end of the SF4 series. And thus we come to the last full release one, the one that surprisingly enough has the most bizarre amount of information and by that I mean none whatsoever was Street Fighter V released in arcades on March 14th 2019 as well as consoles in February 16th 2016 it eventually had an arcade edition release on January 16th 2018 and a championship edition February 14th 2020 uh, so I didn't I, I remember being excited about Street Fighter V and then it came out. Yeah. And it, I think a lot, I think that describes the experience of a lot of people. It was a dud. Street Fighter V. <laughs> I, um, I have strong memories of early Street Fighter V. Um, one of my roommates at the time when I was in, because I was an undergrad when this game came out. And so I had a roommate who was uh, deeply involved in sort of the local uh, FGC. Um, and I remember being excited for the game um i really liked a lot of the design of some of the new characters i thought nikali looked really cool um, <laughs> the dude with all the hair and, yeah the hair you know like he goes into this insane like super saiyan form you know when he uses his v trigger um v trigger that was something that the game introduced which is an interesting mechanic i mean i like i like options as far as games are concerned and so i, I have i, I don't feel strongly either way about the v trigger system i thought it was fine yeah but um i remember playing the beta and i remember just there's being so many issues as far as um the net code had problems there was no training mode in the beta which like really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because i'm somebody who when i get my hands on a new fighting game the first thing i want to do is sit in the lab for like three hours Experiment. Um, there's still a lot, a lot of clipping problems with the graphics. Like I remember, like Birdie's chain going through, like you know, the upper portion of his of his chest and his clothes, and Nikali's hair. You know, I'm I'm not sure they ever really made it look right as far as um, the way it just sort of clips through things. Yeah, and this was the game that was a, a Sony PlayStation exclusive. Yeah, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way too. Well, and you know, and that was kind of. It's interesting in hindsight now because Sony owns Evo. You know, after after what happened was it last year, year before last, where they had some, they had the director of Evo step down due to Mr. Wizard, yeah, yeah. due to the, some stuff that you can, yeah, you, you can you know, Google it, <laughs> dear listeners, you can go look it up on your own time if you want. But yeah, you know, and Sony swooped in and just bought Evo out. So it's interesting that you know they tried to corner the market on. This on Street Fighter Five, you know, and eventually it had like a Windows release. So, but uh, so yeah, that that kind of is a quick, quick and dirty uh, history of everything leading up to what will be uh, on June second of twenty twenty three is uh, the release of Street Fighter Six, which yep, you know, so far having played the demo, uh, I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited about it. And and I think, I, I mean, I haven't seen 
very many people with negative opinions about the gameplay. I mean, everybody who I know who's gotten their hands on it can't stop talking about how fun it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I concur. I mean, I think it feels great. Yeah, they um, uh, they got some new people working on it because um, the, the previous director had some interesting ideas. Yeah, <laughs> they let him go, and these new guys that they brought in, you know, they you can tell they really have a lot of love and appreciation for Street Fighter. Yeah, um, I think the new system mechanics are very exciting. I like the drive gauge system a lot, mm-hmm. um, in that it gives you a kind of balanced. I, I guess we'll see if it's balanced, but you know, kind of a risk reward dynamic to the gameplay of, you know, you can spend a lot of your drive gauge doing uh, EX moves either for extra damage in your combos, setups, pressure, that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, you run the risk of exhausting yourself and leaving your leaving yourself open to a potentially, um, you know, like deadly sort of counter-offensive if your opponent takes advantage of your low drive gauge and catches you, you know, in the corner and hits you with an impact. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that EX moves have been separated from Super Meter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I was I was talking to you a little bit earlier about, but personally, like I remember being like n- not that I'm a super experienced fighting game player or anything, but I remember being a more casual player. Um, I think actually one of my favorite fighting games when I was younger was the original Injustice. You know, I like NetherRealm games, um, and I love all the super moves that were in the game. You know, like I love I love how characters' personalities kind of get shown in these short little cutscenes that happen when your character gets to do a cool super move. Yeah. And something that always disappointed me in a lot of these games is that it was always just like suboptimal play for you to use a super move. You know, like especially in something like MKX, for instance, it's like, why would you ever use um, your fatal blow if, you know, it's going to take up all of your meter? You need that for your combo breakers. You need that for your invincible wake-up reversals. It's like I'm 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 glad that more recent games have decided actually let's take supers and let's put them in its own separate thing, right? So like you don't have to make a choice between using your resources on a super or something else. You can just do both. You know? Right. MK eleven, you know, they tied it to health, which is something that Street Fighter Four did with its ultra gauges, um, which I thought was a cool decision. But Street Fighter Six goes all the way and just says, Okay, EX move EX moves just tied to your drive gauge now. Right. Um, which is something that'll just regenerate over time or, you know, with parries or, um, but if you want to use a super move, you have its own dedicated resource for that, which I think is cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, with parries are now back, you know, they, they were gone in five. Now they've returned as they're, they're like their own system now too. And, you know, another thing that like something that like, immediately got my attention when they first announced this game was uh, with the Battle Hub. The fact that there are old arcade cabinets with older Street Fighter games that have their own online like matchmaking. Yeah. And I was like, why why have you not been doing this? (laughs) I was I was thinking about mentioning that earlier because um what's interesting is like in game there are like daily missions that you can do and weekly missions that give you in game currency that you could use to customize your avatar mm-hmm. um, that you use to run around in the battle hub. And during the beta, some of the missions that I was getting were actually related to going into this classics arcade section and, and actually doing 
daily challenges for whatever the game of the day was. Nice. And for one of the days of the beta, it was actually um, Street Fighter 2. Nice. Uh, which was cool. I got to play around a little bit. I was very bad at it. It plays very differently, obviously, than yeah. you know, like a modern Street Fighter game. But um, it was very cool to see. Yeah, I did the 30th anniversary collection and played a lot of it over the last month. And uh, the girlfriend would watch me play it. And she's like, you're bad at this. I'm like, no, the computer is just ridiculously hard. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I'm not used to playing like this. That, you know, just making excuses. But you know, playing old fighting games is so different compared to like when you're playing more modern stuff now. Yeah, it really is a whole different ball game. Yeah, for the most part, I'm I'm excited for six. Uh, I guess what you're you're looking forward to Marissa and Zangief the most. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Marissa um, and Geef, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that concerns me slash excites me about about potentially playing Zangief and and six Street Fighter six is one of the biggest, I guess, design choices that. Is has a lot of people in the FGC talking right now is uh, modern controls versus classic controls. Right. Um, classic controls, you know what to expect. It plays like Street Fighter 4 or 5. You know, you, you have all of your buttons, you have your six buttons, you have your special moves, you do your inputs to get your special moves and your supers. Modern controls are Capcom's latest attempt at making sort of an alternative control scheme to help newer players um, sort of jump right in and start playing the game and, and do the inputs for things. Basically, by replacing inputs for supers and specials with one button. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's very easy to um, underestimate how difficult some of these inputs are for newer players. I mean, it, it sort of comes as second nature if you've been playing these games for years to know how to do a quarter circle, to know how to do a uh, you know a Z input for um, you know dragon punch, to know how to do even a half circle or a full you know three sixty if you're a, Z- a geef player and you need to do your uh, command grabs. Yeah. Um, but I had friends in undergrad who literally just like couldn't reliably do quarter circle inputs to save their lives. You know they would try and throw a hadouken and they would end up jumping almost every single time somehow in an input that doesn't even require you to press up. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, I've heard people describe it as, you know, playing almost like Super Smash Brothers, right? Where you just, you know, you get the special move by just pressing a button and a direction. Um, and there are trade-offs for this. Um, you know, the most notable of which is like a 20% damage debuff. Um, you do less damage if you're playing on modern controls. That's how it was in the beta, at least. We'll see if Capcom tweaks anything between the beta and the official release. Right. Um but also, you know, it can be a little bit more difficult to pull off some of your normals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the normal moves get covered up by um, special moves, like they just have their buttons taken. Um, and you can still do them, but it requires that you actually hold another separate button that's, I think, called like the assist button that allows you to then do your normal moves regularly. Okay. Um, but I know what has a lot of people talking, and I, I know already apparently that some. Um, very prominent uh, FGC players from Japan specifically are talking about how they're going to be using modern controls in six. One button specials and supers, and also um, auto confirms from like uh, combos. Yeah, look very strong. Um, people are talking about the fact that you know you can reliably like you see your opponent go for a drive impact. Cool, one button super. Um, it, it's like you can't 
as a human being, reliably buffer your super input every single time, like if you expect your opponent to make a mistake. Um, and, and you can't do it without also telegraphing. Like, you know, if you're sitting in the corner and your character starts teabagging, you know, like, okay, this person's trying to buffer a super. Right. Um, but now, reliably, it's like, oh, my opponent jumped. Cool. Um, you know, I'm going to go for my sure you can super. Mm. Um, on top of that, the sort of the auto confirms that modern controls give you as far as like basic combo inputs go will even take into consideration things like um whether or not you're getting a punish or a counter hit yeah like it takes the extra frame data into account such that i've seen clips of ryu um you know like getting punish confirms on an auto combo that turns into an ex like donkey kick and gives him a full combo off of it wow that's um, crazy <laughs> Yeah, versus the the same version of the auto combo, but not a counter hit um, that the game automatically confirms into like you know like Tatsu, uh, which is I think safe on block. Yeah. Um, so it's actually kind of insane that the computer will just like auto complete your combos for you in such a way that requires very little risk on your part because the game knows if you're going to be safe or if you have the possibility to extend into a full combo okay. that being said you know who knows if 20 percent less damage is worth it i mean i guess we'll have to see um, yeah. but the prospect of being able to play zongief right sort of coming back to these characters that i'm excited for the prospect of being able to play zongief and get command grabs with one button is pretty interesting okay um, i know it has some people concerned i think i'm probably a little bit concerned about it but who knows yeah we'll see well, cool. Well, I think that's about it for our episode. What um, characters are you excited for? Uh, for me, uh, Cammy. Yeah. I'm really excited for Cammy. <laughs> sure. She looks awesome. I'm, 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 I'm super pumped for her, and I like Chun Li. I'm, I'm mostly excited for most of the cast. Chun's cool. Chun's difficult. I don't know if you played her at all during the beta. Yeah. Um, she is quite technical in this game, and I think it's largely due to the fact actually she's got a stance now. Yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of the moves that she can do out of her stance are actually special cancelable. Oh. Which opens up some crazy, like, you know, confirm and block string options for her. It makes up options. She's got some overheads out of her stance. She's got some lows out of her stance. Sweet. Anti-airs. It's really cool. But yeah, now I'm, you know, and I'm, I've got the, I've got the day off, so I'll be playing it all day and yep, I, I'm, I'm ready to dive into it. So, but, but yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up and, do our plugs real quick but yeah. uh i'll say too you know like there's a lot more games we could have thrown in here i think if we were trying to cover like oh yeah if we crossovers and we you might know, like we might be able to get into that like later in our yeah. episodes so the, the marvel versus capcoms and the the street fighter cross tekkens and the tatsunoko's versus capcoms and the street fighter cross x-men or versus x-men or whatever the right middle uh yeah middle of the road games yeah well cool well uh if you've made it through our entire episode of just listening to us ramble on about street fighter uh next month's episode will be we're going back to our history we're going to be talking about the rise of atari and the early days of the home consoles so it should be fun uh and other than that michael uh where can the folks find you online i'm on uh twitter and instagram uh i believe my handles are both mackerel underscore prawns Okay. Um, meant to sound like the the aquatic animals. <laughs> uh, 
that they sound like. Yeah. Actually, uh, my Twitter handle doesn't have an underscore. Okay. But but my Instagram one does. So. Yeah, uh, you can find me on twitch.tv slash backwards hero. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as pressrf 4 I'm also on Cajun Greatness uh, when we have a new episode. <laughs> We've been kind of lacking lately. Uh, you can also find this show uh, as the instruction booklet on Facebook, all one word. And we also have a link tree, uh, link tr.ee slash instruction booklet. has all of our stuff that we just mentioned, as well as a nice little player for you to listen to our new episodes. Uh, and also, of course, we have the AOSCH extra stuff that, you know, we're thankful that they let us do this show. Uh, you can find them on SoundCloud, Pod- Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and uh, they have Twitter at, at AYCH Podcast and at AYCH Extra. So, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, and uh, hopefully, everybody gets to play some Street Fighter VI. Yep. Um, thanks, guys. Yep. Have a good one.